0: Welcome to Wrestling With God Show, the podcast where we grapple with the big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Hey, Father Len.
1: Irish, how are you doing?
0: Um, I have a question for us today that uh, is very personal to me. Um, I think it's a question that almost everyone ends up dealing with at some point in their life. For those of us who believe in God, I think it strikes at the heart of our faith. And it's often asked by people who struggle with the whole idea of God. So let me give you a little fill in on this a little bit on on how this question came roaring into my life this week. My wife and I learned that our youngest son— his kidney is failing and he will soon need to go to dialysis or find a uh, kidney donor. Now, I'd like to give you a little background on my son because that, you know, really strikes at the heart of the question. He's had a series of unusual health crises. At age 20, while he was going to Washington State University, he had a heart attack. Pretty shocking. Doctors were shocked. They were never able to explain the cause of the heart attack. A few years later, he experienced total kidney failure. Again, the doctors were unable to explain what the cause was. Now, fortunately for our son, our son's brother-in-law and my favorite son-in-law was a good match, and he donated uh, one of his kidneys to our son. Pretty amazing, and at at a time when his wife was actually pregnant. So, I mean, you know, talk about emotional and powerful and an act of love. And that kidney worked beautifully for 12 years until it failed. And then almost miraculously, a female co-worker of our son's sister-in-law, and she happens to be a cancer nurse, volunteered to give one of her kidneys to our son. And she turned out to be a good match, and her kidney has functioned well for eight years. But now it's failing. So this brings me to a conversation with my sister, and the question that I'd like us to try and grapple with in this episode today, Fatherland. So my sister and I, just a little quick background on her my sister and I grew up in a Catholic household. It was mainly one of those habitual Catholic things. We went to Mass on Sunday. That was our only real religious experience. And I don't even know that we knew as kids why we were going. We just had to go, was that kind of thing. So our primary relationship with God um, was this weekly attendance at Sunday Mass. And my sister, not surprisingly, is no longer a Catholic or a believer. In fact, she's got some animosity toward the Church. So when I told her about our son's latest kidney failure, this was her reaction. She says, I know you're a believer, Irish, but how can your God, all caps if, you, if it was written, how could your God allow this to happen to such a good kid? Now, she knows that our son is a Christian and quite religious. He was also the youth pastor of his church for a number of years and helped bring a bunch of young kids, teenagers, mainly to God, and had a very strong and positive relationship with uh, all these kids and had a a real influence in their lives. So, Father Len, help us grapple with my sister's question, if you will. Why does God allow this to happen to my son and... Really, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people?
1: Mm. Well, that story is probably in everybody's family story, even my own, like my dad. My dad, uh, in all honesty, he had everything that would technically be defined as a good life. He's on the Montana Hall of Fame for sports and wow, two sports. So he was a gifted athlete he like you no 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 i'm not (laughs) but he also was gifted intellectually where he had a couple of masters he had a phd in history it was always important that he be financially well off and one point he was and then late in life um had these medical problems and it came down that he had als Mm. and for the first month he was enormously angry my dad, to be honest, was always a very difficult person.
0: Kind of like my dad.
1: <laughs> a lot of anger issues, a lot of drinking. But then actually, the anger broke. And a year a half into having ALS, I drove up to Montana to see him. And when I was leaving, he said, "Oh, by the way, he said, don't feel sorry for me. He said, the best thing God ever did for me was give me ALS. And he said... Most of my life, I've been nothing but an angry man. He said, only time in my life I was happy is when you were all little kids. And that's when we were poor. And my dad really was happy that that's my memory. My dad used to hug us to the point where he couldn't breathe. And he'd say, I love you. I love you so much.
0: Back when you had nothing.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, he gets his degrees and success and more success and more drinking and more anger. And then he gets ALS. And this strange thing happened is that he's right. The happiest he was in his life was when we were all young and poor. And the last years he had ALS. And for whatever reason, mystery to me, the anger broke. And he was honestly a joyful person. After the anger broke, he actually went around and stayed with all of his kids for a week. And you know, I was expecting a To be a chooseable, difficult relationship. And it was a joy. So when he left, my oldest sister called me and she said, Well, how'd it go? And I said, It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And my sister said, I know. She says, Why couldn't I grow up with that guy? (laughs) Um, And like, here's the odd part the worst thing that happened to my dad, ALS, is the best thing that ever happened to him. He was kind and truly enjoyed life for the first time uh, since we were little kids. Um, and it's not the definitions of health and wealth and intellectual achievements or sports achievement that made life beautiful. It was actually sickness. Hmm. And so my answer to your sister's statement is actually manyfold. that why would she define that maybe the reason why he's such a great guy is because of the kidney. That ha- that story is so replete. There's this book written by Eben Alexander. I kind of liked it. It was the strange story of this Harvard neurosurgeon who gets – he's a atheist slash agnostic, doesn't really care for religion, and he gets meningitis and terribly sick, and he has this kind of near-death experience. He can feel the prayers of other people praying for him, but – even in the book, the point being is that that meningitis was the best thing that ever happened to him. Or St. Ignatius. Our school is named after St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius was aggressive about achieving success in life. He was very formidable. That's what he wanted. And the best thing that ever happened to him is a cannonball hit his leg. And he had to rethink his life and becomes this great saint. St. Julia of Norwich in the 14th century comes down with a plague. And in the midst of it, she actually is so sick. They call for the priest to anoint her. They close her eyes because she thinks she's died. And she has these mystical visions of God. And she does live to a ripe old age. And her book is called Revelations of Divine Love, where she becomes this great mystic of divine love that was brought about through sickness. And what I disagree with your uh, sister's comment is that she makes it sound like if God exists, then God is supposed to be the parent of a millennial child. That anything I want, I should get. And if I don't get what I want, then then clearly, you'd like, I life should be filled with health and all that other stuff. But that's a snowplower parent. Like a snowplower parent, you know what that is? No. One, okay, so you have helicopter parents. I know what that is pushing their kids. Snowplow parents don't push their kids. They're in front of their kids like a snowplow, removing all difficulties. And the problem is, you're not really preparing the kid for life. You want God to remove all your difficulties? We'd say, no, we want to discover God in our difficulties. And there's this great line from St. Paul where he says, day by day, our outside is wasting away, but our inside is being renewed each day. And uh, like are our best days behind us? Are our best days when we are healthy and young and therefore, you know, if we're good, God is obligated to give us good health. Um, like you, like you always find this mentality that somehow sickness and old age is a curse. Like I don't know, my college days, um yeah, they're fun, but you're in college and another party with red solo cups and, you know, <laughs> you get drunk and throwing and oh my god, wasn't that throwing out? It was just wild. No, uh, the older I get, the days get better and better. Uh, I'm getting renewed inside. Granted, the older I get and I'm in my 50s, you know, I could only see out of one eye. I'm balding. You know, it's just more and more problems. And yet, I have to say, I'm the happiest I've ever been. And then this poll, they found out older people who are at their most frail and uh, financially, you know, fixed incomes. They tend to be at the happiest of their life. Day by day, everything's wasting away, and I'm getting renewed more and more and more. Where did we get this idea that if you're good, God is obligated to bring you health? Uh, now, granted, my dad I have to was kind of a pain, but um, maybe if God is good, yeah, He wants us to become incredibly joyful, and even uses sickness. And I I actually like in the Bible where God says, all flesh grows old like a garment. The age-old law is that everyone must die. As leaves grow on a luxurious tree, one day they must fall and new ones sprout. So every generation, one dies and another flourishes. Death and sickness is the age-old law. It doesn't mean that God is bad because there's sickness. Maybe God wants to give us something greater than sickness. And I met this medical student once who was in medical school, and she was saying, you know, it just amazes me. There are a million tiny, tiny things that can go wrong in any human body that could devastate us. So the real wonderful thing is somehow the million things work together, but there's this fear that if you don't have health and wealth and popularity, then somehow your life is cursed. Maybe like my dad, your life becomes blessed because of sickness.
0: It's so hard, though. You know, Father Len, you said something really interesting. You said, maybe my son's health problems have made him the good guy that he is. He does have amazing empathy. He he has a sense of people. He cares about people in in a really deep way. And that may well be you know because it started so young to have a heart attack at age 20 is almost unheard of um and it was a minor heart attack he hasn't suffered any uh, health con- well i don't know the kidneys may have been caused by partially caused by the heart attack but he has no ill effects directly from the heart attack itself but you know it's hard the the, the only good well uh, and i guess what i'm hearing you say is that There is some kind of good going to come out of this, something, you know, if you're looking for it, uh, that, that, you know, you're going to grow, you're going to learn, the people around you are going to get something out of this. The only thing that that I've been able to see, and this was really hard for my wife and I, when he called us to tell us that his latest, you know, his kidney is failing – Uh, He's been a kid always that has kept stuff inside, and he literally started crying. I've never heard him cry like this about, you know, what he was feeling. He said, Dad, I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to see my kids get married. I'm scared for what's going to happen to my kids and my wife if, if, if I die. He didn't say if I die, but that was clearly understood in this. Um, and, uh, you know, um, it, it, on the one hand, and I told him, I said, "This, I'm so glad to see you let this out because that's not been your tendency over your life, you know. And maybe keeping stuff in, you know, because stress causes a lot of this kind of stuff. Maybe, you know, that's... That's part of this goodness, part of this growing and learning i don't know it's just it's really hard to reconcile well, it's I, really hard
1: I want yeah, it is, and i guess I guess as was answering the question from what your sister said that somehow God is supposed to be this genie in the bottle, and when I rub it, if I'm a good person, I get what I want Well, the she good- was,
0: she was more like you know, why does God allow this? Why does God allow somebody to have a heart attack or, you know, yeah, to, my, to, to my lose their is, kidneys? I mean, it's just like, yeah. that's really, I think, I mean, I didn't dig into it. I When well, what, she asked the question. My answer would
1: be, why does God allow my dad to get ALS? You know, sickness, it does teach us how precious and frail life is. And when you're son was crying i mean granted maybe the sickness did turn him into this great person the way it did my dad but there is something to be mourned that life is so fragile the age-old law is that life is temporary so the this life yes it's temporary everything will fail eventually but he's what i like about it is that the empathy you spoke of He's not concerned about his own health. He's concerned about his children, about having to say goodbye. Yep. And I don't know why I And don't the
0: effect it, it's going to have on them.
1: Once again, how do you know the effect won't be good? I have a re- another relative who... Um, she flees from death and suffering. If you're sick or suffering... She runs. She will never be there. She said she's never gone to a funeral in her life. Wow. And no offense, like... She fears sickness and death so much so that you know she's had the plastic surgery and the Botoxed face. And, oh my! Like you look at her and it's like, oh, for the love of God! <laughs> um, like there's just and
0: I hope she didn't look like Kenny Rogers if you've ever seen <laughs> yes, his. You know, I mean, oh my God! Right?
1: She, like uh, it's actually kind of laughable. Yeah. And the worst part is, the worst part is in this Botoxed life, she's so superficial. She has no empathy, no care. She's never worked at a food banks. She's never donated everything. And yet they have the big house and the car. Whose life is worse, your son or, no offense, my relative, who can't really show compassion, no. never do- never has been there for anyone? And what she said about his mourning, I think that's incredibly healthy. He has to mourn the fact that maybe his, his daughters will be mi- – He'll miss out on that. And even like uh, – I don't know why like Thomas Merton once said, when somebody dies, even though we know life is temporary, it's always a shock. Totally. When my dad died, um, we knew he had ALS. We knew exactly you know, the last – but yet the moment he dies, it's a complete shock. And Thomas Merton once said, uh, the fact that we're shocked by death means there's something in us that means life should be full. There's something in us that says, no, death is wrong. There's something in us that says sickness is wrong. We are meant for a full life. I just think the age-old laws, we're not going to have it here. I do believe in heaven. Uh, that's where we'll have the absolute fullness of life. That's what we're meant to, but it's not meant for here. But I think the healthy response is that your son does mourn the fact that life is so temporary. But how do you know it? won't make his daughters even better than they are as opposed to my relative who she won't even go to somebody's funeral because she just doesn't want to be depressed. How do you know that hardship as hard as it is? will make still him
0: and his family better. Better. Make our whole family better. Yeah. You I, know I, I I I can see that, I mean with every one of these health things with him, it really Causes us all to think about life, brings our family closer together, gives Um, up petty
1: disagreements. It Um, does. I mean, it just it sends all that stuff away. And I I mean, I come from a very Catholic background, but this does amaze me. As a kid, my mother, when we were driving, would pray the rosary, right? And we'd start, you know, with the joyful mysteries, and I think she just did it to keep us quiet. I mean she is very devout. But yeah, we used um, to play games in the car. Oh, she know? did that, but she was all about control. Us. That woman's out of con- That woman's <laughs> But she was all about control, but she'd pray the rosary and I mean I'm just joking, but I think it was just to keep, keep uh, the But during the Joyful Mysteries, I was always like, why are these joyful? I could never figure that out. Why are these joyful? You have, you know, Mary is found pregnant and threatened with divorce and being stoned to death. Uh, you have the birth, but okay, he's born. These into, are the joyful yeah.
0: mysteries for he's, those people who don't know what you're talking about. Right.
1: We're supposed to meditate on these stories. Christ's nativity hes born into absolute poverty, rejected. His mother and father need medical attention. None, the, none of the religious people will offer it. Where's this joyful? He's boor, He's so poor. He's born really in a stable. He's so poor. Where's the joy in this? And Later in life, I realized that joy can exist alongside sickness and suffering. Happiness can't. Happiness is pure external. You know, it depends upon how you look and, and uh, what kind of car you drive. That kind of happiness is so external. Joy is so internal. Joy and suffering can exist side by side. And I'm always amazed. Like I, I go to nursing homes and anoint people, right? And so many people who are in the midst of dying, I, they're joyful, even though they're sick. Like, I don't know why I was just thinking of examples in my head. Uh, one of our parishioners, I went to go anoint his mother who lives in a neighboring town, and she is circling the drain, and she's confined to a wheelchair. But he really wanted me, so I, I go and I anoint her, but it took me a while to find her because she's in a wheelchair, and yes, she is in the throes of dying, but she's a busy woman. She has all these people that she has to visit in the nursing home. And then when I anoint her, I mean, she's joyful. She is literally circling the drain. She's out of money. She's on, you know, whatever medical assistant she can be. Uh, she's dying. She's suffering and yet laughing, giggling, and she wants to go visit that person. This person needs to be taken care of. Joy and suffering can exist side by side. Mourning and, you know, your son mourning, uh, yeah, he might not see his daughter's future. But. Joy. Daughters
0: and and son. He's got a little son son, son, too.
1: But yeah, there's some severe loss there, but that doesn't mean there won't be joy at the same time. Happiness is external. Happiness cannot exist, but joy can. Maybe he's giving them a bigger gift. He and God
0: are giving them a bigger gift.
1: Maybe. life is precious and fragile. And yeah, we'll mourn it. You know, the one benefit... I say of uh, like my dad's ALS and suffering is that you discover the difference between joy and happiness. And now with suffering, I know where joy hides. It's in us. There is a you that is deeper than the you of circumstances of good health and wealth and popularity. There's a you beyond that. And that's where I think joy hides.
0: Well, Father Lynn, I, I guess uh, unless you have something else, you know, that you'd like to say, maybe to my son and to others who might be in his situation, um, if you had anything, have anything to add to that, maybe that's a good place to wrap this up.
1: I guess the only thing that's what faith gives us. Faith is not belief without evidence. Well, that's a misnomer. The word "pistis" in Greek actually means trusting. That. In life, you have to trust in someone or something. You can't go throughout life without trusting. Everybody has to trust in something. Even in the midst of loss and suffering, I still trust that the God of life will bring greater life. The God Um, of
0: love, the God of life. Trust in that.
1: Even as our outside is wasting away, we're getting renewed inside. I've just found that to be true.
0: I guess also really one of the things you're really saying to me is that there's going to be joy in this. And if you, if you look for it, if you realize that it, there's going to be something, some, some positive thing come out of this, that's, that's also yeah, very helpful.
1: But I want to say that's not optimism. Like I'm, I'm against optimism. I am not an optimistic person. (laughs) We are (laughs) all going. Actually (laughs) noticed that we're all going over a cliff just slowly. There's a difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is just this kind of like, oh, I'm sure something. You know,
0: it's all going to be good. Yeah.
1: No. No. There will be real suffering, but hope means even beyond the circumstances. I trust that the God of pure love has nothing but goodness in store for us. God is not a genie in the bottle. He's a God of life.
0: I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up, Father Len. So I hope you'll join us next time. Maybe we won't get into such a heavy subject as this one. As we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth and meaning and purpose in our lives. In the meantime, if you have a question that you'd like us to grapple with about faith or religion or life, we'd love to hear from you. Just head over to our website, www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com, and click on the questions button. And if you will, please subscribe, rate, and review the Wrestling with God show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover us.